growing green to generate more green. Welcome to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. Each week, we plant the conversational seeds about cultivation and the changing climate of cannabis culture. We'll peel back the layers of benefits of the world's most versatile plant, from food to fuel, from remedy to resource. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents The Grow Show with your host, multi-award-winning grow master and respected cannabis consultant, Kyle Cushman. Hello and welcome to the jungle, or paradise, or maybe... It's all just a dream. This is The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com, and I am your host, Kyle Cushman. Today, we welcome back Adam Eidinger for part two of our interview discussing activism, civil disobedience, and the rescheduling or descheduling of cannabis. In part one, we talked about the DCMJ's most recent demonstrations involving a 51-foot inflatable joint and mass smoke-in, as well as a marijuana clone and seed swap. Both of these events took place directly in front of the White House. Despite being deemed radical and publicly disowned by some major cannabis organizations as a bad example, it worked. Just days after the demonstration, Adam received something that rocked the cannabis syndicate, an invite from the White House to discuss marijuana law reform. Adam broke the news right here on The Grow Show last week, and his organization became the first major cannabis advocacy organization to not only receive such an invitation, but to actually attend a meeting at the White House and discuss the extremely important issue of consumer-friendly legalization. Adam, welcome back to The Grow Show. Thanks for having me back on. You know, let's just jump right into it. So who did you meet with? Well, I met with two ONDCP officials, Office of National Drug Control Policy officials and they were deputies they were low level and they both asked us to keep their names out of the media because they're really not the decision makers they were note takers they were nodders they were Uh smilers but they were not partners they weren't people we could discuss a goal of legalization or reform on marijuana together there was no discussion it was very disappointing in that respect Mm. So, so much for my next question. What was your impression of how the meeting went? I'm getting a sense that it was a little disappointing. It was very disappointing in the sense that we don't have any follow-up scheduled. You know, we said, look, this, this is a breakthrough that we're actually even meeting. Now let's come up with a plan to have regular meetings. Let's expand the dialogue. The room that we met in at ONDCP, which is part of the White House, so it is technically part of the White House, but it's not in the White House. It's down the street. <laughs> This office has a boardroom with over 20 chairs in it. There were just four of us in there. Mm-hmm. There's no reason there couldn't have been, those 20 seats couldn't have been filled. The meeting could have taken a little bit longer and we could have heard from everyone. And that's what we've been asking for. That's been our main demand, is to have a public dialogue in the White House, a listening session is what they call it, of the cannabis constituency, not just the people that are addiction specialists or prison experts. You know, that, that seems to be who they all, that seems to be all they listen to is these days is people who work in the prison side of the whole thing or in the policing side of the thing. Mm. It really needs them to just make the marijuana constituency something that is welcome in the White House. And I think they'll be rewarded politically. I, I explained this to them that we're watching what they're doing right now. And while we appreciate the Cole memo, which protects uh, state medical marijuana programs and the uh, Department of Justice, while we appreciate the April 20th decision, uh, well, it wasn't really a decision, it was a signing of a contract between DEA and the group MAPS to provide marijuana for smokable PTSD uh, marijuana research. You know, this is, a big, this is a big step forward. We showed appreciation for 
the fact that, you know, since Colorado and Washington State, now D.C. and others have passed legalization, the president has essentially defended those states, you know, being able to at least experiment with changing these laws. So we tried to play it diplomatically, and I'm a Democrat, and I, I emphasize that. I said, you know, we're on the same team, so why are you guys so cagey about this, about, you know, actually having a real dialogue? You know, you go to the White House website today, and it still says they oppose marijuana legalization right there on the website. We also expressed that, you know, we don't think that proving that marijuana is medicine is necessary anymore, because the Institute of Medicine said so in 1999. And so, you know, using medical research as a tool for legalization and descheduling is fine, but this is, it was a political decision to make marijuana illegal in the first place, and it should be a political decision to make it legal as well. And I, I think that we, you know, we urged the president to essentially listen to the advocates and then get behind legislation. It, it seems to be the president acts like he's a neutral party here. He's a whole branch of government. And it's the branch that's enforcing these laws that are inhumane. And, you know, I, you know, five million arrests since Barack Obama became president just for marijuana. And it's the number one reason people go to jail. I can certainly sense your discontent, and it does sound like possibly just an attempt to placate you guys, and it sounds to me like another public demonstration smoking is in order. Well, okay, so it's not yet, just quite yet. I mean, to be fair, let's give them a second to run our message up the flagpole, per se, in their chain of command. We were originally talking to a higher-level official who responded to our letters, and I wonder if I had should have ever gone public about this meeting at all if I just would have met with her but I also feel that I don't think I don't her, think that's good. I don't think that changed their mission of what it was to speak with you and and I guess we really I, don't know what that is because they didn't give you a lot of feedback exactly they are just trying to manage us that's clear they don't mm-hmm. like the protest and I know this because you know I've been to the White House before as a guest for various events not fancy events just like sitting in a crowd of people in the South Lawn kind of event Today, there's an event at the White House where a close friend of mine is actually receiving an award. Her name is Sue Castenson, and she runs a group called Fair Shake, which helps people that have been in jail, especially for a long time, reintegrate into society. They provide them with a website, and they provide them with business cards and advice on how to you know, do a job application and a lot of good stuff. And this group is being recognized by the Attorney General. She invited me as her guest today. And I went to the White House about two hours ago with her. And when we got to security, they wouldn't let me in. They said, Secret Service does not want you in here. And it just really it was disappointing because I, I undressed, undressed for the occasion. I'm not there to protest. Whoa. And so it seems as if I'm being punished. But I don't know. It could be just be a mistake. And that happens sometimes. People get sure. walked out. But, Bureaucracy. You know, <laughs> I just... I just, I'm saying this to you because unlike a lot of people in Washington that keep things really close to the breast that are about secrecy, I've always been about total transparency in everything I do. And that's one of the reasons why journalists generally trust talking to me because they know I'm telling them everything. And I'm telling you everything here. This meeting was not, it was highly symbolic and nothing more. The meeting, the, the fact I was turned away from the White House today, I'm on their list of people they don't want in the White House. Because I organized smoke-ins at the White House. You know, it makes sense. Well, but, well what, about, <laughs> what about the idea of a million-man marijuana march? I support the idea. I'm, oh, look, we're going to give the Obama administration probably a week from our meeting date 
to follow up with us on our request for higher level meetings. That's what we're that asking. Sounds, we that need, sounds reasonable. And if we don't get higher level meetings, then the protest strategy is all we have. There's nothing moving, and if it's moving, it's being done behind closed doors without input from anybody in the cannabis world. I want to throw my hat in the ring just to say that if the week goes by and you decide that protest is in order, I want you to know that I've got your back and whatever resources I can bring to bear, you've got my name and my help. I appreciate that. Uh, we're looking at May 20th, mainly because it's a month from 420. hmm the birthday of Harry Anslinger, the architect of marijuana prohibition. What an auspicious uh, occasion. Yeah, it's a Friday. So we're thinking of doing a 520 on 520 at the White House. And this time we'll bring two joints instead of one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Why not? Two joints song. And right. we'll es- we-, we have to escalate. So that's our current uh, concept for a protest. But I told the folks we met with, they really would much rather do constructive things, like help them figure out a fair process for including the wider cannabis movement and discussions about what the best policy is in the future. I mean, we're just asking for talks. I I mean, I think it's abundantly clear. We're not expecting the president to promise anything. We just want him to engage us. I think we have to overwhelm them. I think... think I think that uh, we've right. got to organize a massive demonstration of people of all ages and socioeconomic backgrounds and have a massive smoke-in on the mall. You know, I, I think it's called for at this point. Well, I would support you if you gave the call. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of energy. So we have to be careful. We don't, you know, no pun intended, burn ourselves out on too many events. And I, I'd say this past month, we in D.C., there's been an event every day related to marijuana and uh, we were also at the UN this month. So it's kind of, a lot of us are licking our wounds too after the Maryland primary. Representative Andy Harris won the Republican nomination last night. He's the one who's stopping full legalization in D.C. with a congressional rider. Other reformers that we were backing in this region did not win. So it's been a little bit of a setback today. And, you know, Bernie did not do well last night. Bernie Sanders, yeah. he's clearly the stronger candidate on in the Democratic side for marijuana reform. And, yeah, you know, and it, I worked these polls yesterday in Maryland, and I met a lot of Trump supporters for the first time. I really didn't know who these people were because they're not in D.C. And, well, listen, Adam, wow. let's, <laughs> let us let me jump in right here real quick because we have to take a quick break to show our sponsors sure. Grow Show Love. So everyone spark up, and we'll be right back to talk some more with Adam Eidinger. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. shooting past a thousand degrees fahrenheit it's burning up i'm afraid for this little guy it's just too late what caused the problem only dr dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth tasting slower burn this standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits sending it up in smoke so you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke not vapor correct keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to dr dabber doctor's order less heat (laughs) more flavor Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. 
Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. My guests say Razzy Berry. We're talking about nature, naturopathic medicine, as well as the concept of prevention and preventing disease. Empower people to live a naturopathic lifestyle. Get to know your body, understand its rhythms, remove toxins, and use natural alternatives whenever possible. 90 to 95% of cancers are due to environment and lifestyle risk factors. That's a huge number. That means that cancer is preventable. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. We are speaking with Adam Eidinger of DCMJ. He just recently visited the White House and had a slightly disappointing meeting. There were people there listening, but they weren't really ready to have a conversation. You know, so we're discussing how best to go forward. I have a few questions I want to ask you, Adam, but I have a comment here or a suggestion here. I think that one of the big problems that we have with mainstream and cannabis is that there is a disconnect. And I think that the disconnect starts with the fact that cannabis is the only socially acceptable recreational drug other than alcohol. And I really, really try never to draw a comparison between alcohol and cannabis because alcohol is recreational, but it's not medicinal. So I don't Mm -hmm. like putting them in the same group at all. But if you think about it, lots of drugs are used recreationally. I'm not going to list them off here. We all know what they are, but they're not socially acceptable. Cannabis is a drug that's used recreational that I feel that is or has definitely gained a lot of Mm -hmm. social acceptability. And this is where the disconnect is for me because people who think about legalizing cannabis can't wrap their heads around the idea that A, it's a self-administered drug when it is a drug and B, it is a drug that is recreational. Can you comment on that? I think the word recreational is incorrect in the way you're using it. Because to me, recreational is surfing, you know, water skiing, skydiving. All these things are done for recreation. And so when I think of recreational marijuana use, I think, well, are you like playing a sport while you use marijuana? No, no, but compare it it to like having a beer or having a drink with your friends. That's recreational drinking to achieve an altered state of consciousness. I hear hear you. That's what that word means to you. But to me, it means something else. I like to use the phrase adult use. Sure. So we, we, we recognize alcohol adult use as something that implies you're being responsible about it. Mm-hmm. Recreational doesn't necessarily mean you're being responsible. You know, it could mean like you're getting drunk. Ah. And you know, if you read like what the alcohol industry puts out, they say, you know, you shouldn't drink to excess. And, and if you drink properly, you don't get drunk. <laughs> you drink just a little bit. You take sips. I mean, this is uh, sure. So, so, you know, so I agree. You know, it's not the same effect. Uh, I agree. Alcohol. That's probably a bad analogy, but I'm just trying to bring up the disconnect that I feel exists from people who are maybe conducive or open to the idea of legalizing, but then mm-hmm. once they see the culture for what it really is, well, they don't see the culture for what it really is is the problem, and that they don't understand that a drug that has real serious effects you know, positive effects for people could actually be used in a adult or recreational setting. 
I appreciate what you're saying a lot. And I think what you're saying is largely true. But let's get back to the language we're using. We're still, we're kind of still using language of prohibition. And calling marijuana a drug is not right. It's not a drug. It's a plant. It's an herb. Drugs are typically compounds, combination of many substances. That makes the drug. Ah, and I like that. So well, one of the things I said to the DEA was, you guys should deschedule entirely, or I should say the ONDCP, correct, correct myself here, is that you should deschedule entirely because it doesn't, you're looking at it like it's a drug when it's just a plant, and it's not lethal, and the people who sell it aren't selling anything that's lethal. So when you, you know, it, it's, it really should be treated differently. And a lot of other drugs clearly are lethal that are over the counter. So, yeah, there's a, there's a big disconnect. We, we want to get changed the lingo. So it's adult use, it's, you know, personal use, uh, home cultivation. You know, people talk about outdoor, growing outdoors. We like to use the phrase natural light. <laughs> you know, sure. so natural light is really drives the point home that when you grow indoors, it's not natural. And you're I, the plant. <laughs> you I, I hear you. I just, I just want to stay away from the whole semantics of the issue because I think that people who are both trying to see our side and people who are yeah. opposed to seeing our side, we need to be very specific in our intentions and in our language. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. So on that vein, deschedule or reschedule, what's the difference and what are the mm-hmm. repercussions of each? Yeah, so I think the main difference with reschedule is that it's just going to be moved into a different category of the Controlled Substances Act, maybe Schedule 2, maybe Schedule 3, and it will still be a tightly controlled substance. It'll end up as a patented medicine. I think it'll drive up the cost of cannabis medicine when it could be something that people you know, produce themselves or it's, it could be low cost. This is another big disconnect of, in my mind is that Everybody acknowledges that big business is coming into cannabis. It's just a natural evolution. You can't stop evolution. My big issue is the disconnect between the personal cultivation and the commercial cultivation. And Mm -hmm. I believe that we need both of them and that one is no more important than the other. Or maybe actually, you know, personal cultivation to me actually is more important than the other because it empowers people to be self-sufficient. If you can grow your own food in any state in the country without having to have a license to do so, you should be able to grow your own medicine as well, Mm -hmm. unregulated for yourself and for your family. And so this is where I'm trying to find these distinctions that I can pose to people so that they understand it at the ground level, you know, where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we think, I think it should be taken off the Controlled Substances Act altogether, and that's that's descheduling. And that allows us to then say, look, this is totally 100% legal. It's not in some special category of controlled drugs. And now states or the federal government can write a new law maybe about, well, we're, you know, we're going to create a new federal agency that deals with marijuana. We're going to create a interstate excise tax on, you know, people selling from state to state because that's something that should begin as well. You know, I... I on one hand, I, I'm a little critical of those who would monopolize marijuana and to a, try to keep the price of marijuana really high, but I'm also very supportive of businesses that argue we should be able to grow marijuana and send it anywhere in the country. And, and I think that's the future. So we do need federal laws dealing with that kind of business. They shouldn't be stifling it or turning it into some sort of mini-monopoly. It should be very easy for farmers in one state to do business with buyers in another state. 
just like it is for you know for potatoes. And, mm-hmm. and, and I so we're we're seeing the vision the future that way. And also, yeah, I think politicians should stop looking at all the tax revenue they can generate off of keeping the price of marijuana high. Instead, they should be talking about all the money they can put in people's pockets who currently use marijuana and are paying too much for it. Yeah, they, they don't un, they, they they don't take into account all these people, you know, tens of thousands of people. You just go by the number of grow lights that were sold in America last year, who are supplying their own medicine for themselves. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden, you're going to take that right away. And not only you're going to take money out of their pockets and make them go to some state-sponsored store to buy their inferior medicine that doesn't really have the effects of the strain that they've been breeding over the last ten years. It's just. Personal cultivation has to be maintained it's, or else there really is no legalization. Yeah, and we said to, you know, the staff at ONDCP in the meeting that, you know, what you're, you're looking at the face of the marijuana legalization effort in D.C. We did it differently here. We're not unlike any other state. We put home cultivation as the main thing. We have no adult sales unless you're a medical patient. And we think that's a model that could be replicated all across the country overnight. And you can immediately reduce the mass arrests that are taking place in states like Pennsylvania or Virginia, which have still not really evolved. I mean, they're, Virginia is really bad right now. They're having they had a record number of marijuana arrests last year. So things are not getting better in a lot of parts of the United States, particularly in the South. And we need the federal government to stand up for those people who are being, you know, they're having their lives ruined by a stint in jail for a small amount of marijuana and then never getting, you know, never getting back on their feet. It happens a lot. Yeah, it's really important that we stay on this. It, it, it is really all about education, and I feel that once people come to understand the culture for who we are and the people for who we are, I don't think there'll really be an issue, but they don't really understand us right now, and that's why we got to keep working so hard. Hey, Adam, I'm going to take a quick break, and I'm hoping you'll stick with us because we're going to do the last segment with you, and we'll be right back in just a moment. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Northwest Alternative Health, Eugene's premier medical marijuana clinic, is proud to sponsor the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Are you prepared for the changes in the recreational and medical marijuana markets? The OMB presents the state's top industry experts, along with over 40 exhibitors, and features a keynote by Dr. Carl Hart. Also, tickets include a celebrity interview and private after-party with the one and only Tommy Chong. Join us Sunday, April 24th at the downtown Eugene Hilton, and be a part of Oregon's fastest-growing industry. Check out OregonMBC.com for more details. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. I'm your host, Dr. Dina. We've got David Faustino on the line, Bud Bundy from Married with Children. Did you feel nervous being a celebrity walking into a weed store? I don't remember at all being like, ooh, I'm scared someone's going to take my picture here. What are they going to say? Bud Bundy smokes Bud? I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be a big shocker. Hey, this is David Faustino, and I'm on Cannabis Confidential with my girl, Dr. Dina, on CannabisRadio.com. 
Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody, to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. This is our last segment, and normally we do an Ask Kyle here, but I'm having such a good time talking with Adam Eidinger, and I want to get to the end of this discussion. So... On our last show, we talked a little bit about how President Obama is within his executive power to pardon the millions of people currently serving time for pot. I don't think the odds of this happening in his final few months are very large, but what I'm curious about is, is this even possible and you know, wouldn't a mass pardon create havoc for the legal system? I don't think it would create havoc for the legal system. I think it would take a little pressure off some of these jails and prisons that have overcrowded. We definitely could be looking more seriously at marijuana convicts, people who grew marijuana, people who got caught selling marijuana, especially in states with stricter laws. The president has pardoned about 200 people so far for all kinds of things. And I think this is one where he could say, you know what, I really think you know, these laws are going to change, and I'm going to pardon a lot of people who are in jail for it right now, who've mm-hmm. already served enough time. And, you know, that would be a major change in policy for where we're at. I think... People have to ask themselves, like, are we going to continue to support a political party that believes in incremental change? Are, we going to, are they going to support political parties that are actually going to, you know, make a difference on marijuana and get the change done in our lifetimes? So I, I think this is kind of a, we're at a kind of a crossroads now for the Obama administration where there's just really no going back if they don't do something very soon. That's why I think the July expected announcement on descheduling, this is mm-hmm. something that was hinted in the meeting with us as well, that there's a big announcement coming. This is going to be crucial. That, can't, that announcement can't be underwhelming. It needs, to be, sure. it needs to be momentous. And then people can say, you know, Obama really did start the reforms that will continue in the next administration. Explain yeah. what it means when you say that cannabis is an internationally scheduled substance. What needs to happen in order for that to change? Yeah, so, you know, the United Nations also has some scheduling of drugs. And the treaties that have been created for narcotics uh, schedule marijuana as schedule one as well. You know, in the worst category, right. uh, the most dangerous category. So I think, though, once the U.S. moves towards rescheduling or indicates it will, the, the international system will change quickly. But countries like Russia, Sri Lanka, the numerous uh, East African and West African countries have really harsh laws on marijuana still. And Not only on marijuana, right? On other drugs too, yes. But they treat marijuana as if it's, you know, uh, the person selling it is, is selling death in a, in, you know, in a bag. And really, it's not. As we know, it's safe. And these laws got to change. I mean, the, the UN, unfortunately, the big debate was over whether or not they should be a death penalty for drug crimes. <laughs> and it just seems like, wow, we're really far away from marijuana legalization if that's what you're debating. Well, you know, this, this is a big, wide world, and some of the issues in, in nations far away from us are varied and extremely complicated. They don't have nearly the level of tolerance of, you know, the sexism is much higher and racism is much higher, and uh, a lot of these things are, are just starting to filter themselves into the importance of what people are actually talking about. So we have to continue fighting, and, and that's what we're going to keep doing. Tell me a little bit about the National Cannabis Festival that took place in D.C. Yes, a consortium of sensory owners, activist groups, small business people, you know, cultivation experts came together and formed the National Cannabis Festival. 
It was held at the Robert F. Kennedy Memorial Stadium grounds, which is not, you know, basically near Capitol Hill. Well over 4,000 people attended. It was a beautiful day. It was outside. There was music. Della Soul played. The Backyard Band, which is a famous DC band, performed. But what was so noteworthy about it was that they had, you know, told everyone ahead of time this is a no-smoking event. There's no public use anywhere in the District of Columbia. And there was massive public use. There was, <laughs> Of course. There were, I mean, thousands of people were using it. And, and the, the police just were there. I think they were paid police to be there, you know, U.S. DC police. But they, um, they just stood and watched. And it was so peaceful and tranquil. It was such a nice event. There was alcohol for sale there, but it wasn't an alcohol event. You know, there was just a little bit of drinking going on. But there was, you know, lots of groups like Drug Policy Alliance and Students Responsible Drug Policy and many small business owners. There were, you know, bongs and vaporizers being sold in the park. Marijuana was being tested in the park. There were live plants there. People were talking about cultivation, political action. We had numerous local politicians show up, Representative Earl Blumenauer of that's beautiful. Uh, uh, Oregon showed up and walked around. While, you know, it was. It's great for them to see in their own backyard, around the Capitol, that you can have a full-on marijuana cannabis festival, and it's fine. It doesn't. You know no what I? Falling. I think a great idea would be to pick a day in the summer. And to get all of the national chapters of, I don't know, of normal or of all, all the different uh, legalization groups together and have like a, a six-city smoke-in, not one city, mm-hmm. but, uh, you a know. Coordinated you know, Yeah, New York, Chicago, L.A., well, D.C., you know, Boston. There is a day of protest coming up. There is one on May 7th. It's the Million Marijuana March, which has been going on for, I think, 20 years now. It's organized primarily out of New York, but it's a global day of action. And I agree with you. We need better unity in our movement. That was one of the messages we, we realized after we got this meeting with the White House, how much jealousy there was, or maybe it was just that we're getting publicity that upset them. But it really was an opportunity for us to unite, and it, it didn't happen. I, I, I think, though, if the White House is not going to do anything major on marijuana, what do we have to lose? You know, Absolutely. That's, that's the question. So if they're going we have to nothing to major, lose. You have nothing to lose. And there was a group that was trying, it's called the March Against Prohibition, that was trying to organize a mass mobilization this fall. And I've been trying to tell them, look, this is a good time for us to volunteer on campaigns, put the marijuana issue in these various campaigns all around the country for, for Congress, for local offices. We should be volunteering. We should let them know. I'm volunteering because I, I like your marijuana position. That's why we should. That's what we should be doing in the fall, not a mass mobilization. But I guarantee you, if the next president ignores this issue in the first term, we can organize such a national mobilization like you are imagining, where we could have a million people on the mall and it's buses from all over the country, and it's, this is it. We're going to end the drug war now. We're going to end the right. war on marijuana. But Absolutely, that, I, and I think right before the election is a bad time, personally. <laughs> Fantastic. And and we're going to close the show on that. I just want to say that people like myself and Adam Eidinger are urging everybody out there to get involved and to stand up and to certainly come out of the closet to the people that you know and love and spread the truth about cannabis. Unfortunately, once again, we are out of time. So Adam, if you could please tell people how they could get in touch with you and the organization that they could email. DCMJ is DCMJ.org online. Check us out. 
Fantastic. Well, everybody, we are out of time once again, and I want to thank Adam Eidinger and our producers for making this show possible. Make sure to check out my website, kylecushman.com, where you can find out where to follow me on social media and upcoming events that I'll be attending. You can find new episodes of The Grow Show every Wednesday by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for joining us. Please remember, smiles are free, so give them to everyone you see. I'm your host, Kyle Cushman, and as always, please stay lifted. expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.